From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I've always said that it's important to check in with a mental health professional just like you check in with a doctor or a dentist for your physical health needs. Today, we'll talk about finding a therapist and some of the more common mental health issues that we all tend to struggle with. It helps individuals to gain clarity on their goals, develop insight, um, transition into purpose, and then most importantly, it helps them to develop a psychological flexibility. Sharaday Howard is out and about becoming one with nature. We're inviting audiences to walk about, record, take pictures. You will enjoy both the natural sounds from the nature and the arboretum, along with the beautiful music. That's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and on this show and across Odyssey, we take mental health to heart. I'm pleased that the more we simply have conversations surrounding the issue and share what we all struggle with, along with shattering the myths and biases of therapy, we can normalize, hopefully, seeking help because, quite frankly, we do all need it. The CDC says nearly 12% of adults report regular feelings of worry, nervousness, or anxiety, and nearly 5% report regular feelings of depression. And I'm surprised a bit that it's not higher than that. Joining me today is Rashida Zayed-Henry. She is CEO and founder of Knows No Face, LLC, a mental health and wellness counseling and consulting company in Philadelphia. Dr. Ann Rosen-Spector is a Philadelphia-based clinical psychologist and someone we call on quite often here on Bridging Philly. And Dr. Matthew Herford is president and CEO of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Health Plan's Community Care Behavioral Health Organization. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, we've got lots to unpack here, I have to say. So how about we do this? Let's first start with In general, some of the reasons that the average person can benefit from therapy. I'll start with you, Dr. Herford. Well, I think the first thing to realize and appreciate is that there really is no health without behavioral health. Mm. And that's something that we've only really more recently started to appreciate, the importance uh, in our whole health and well-being of being uh, in a good place emotionally. And the good news is that There are lots of treatments that work, and you mentioned therapy. Uh, Depending on your situation, your background, your preference, there's medications, of course, for more serious symptoms. You know, we don't think twice about getting help when we have a physical problem. Right. And this month, May, being Mental Health Awareness Month, it's such an important time to help raise our collective awareness about the important role of mental health in our well-being. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we should do this every month, to tell you the truth. Rashida, would you agree with that sentiment? From Dr. Herford. Most definitely. Um, I definitely um, believe that therapy has a range of benefits, um, particularly and it helps individuals to gain clarity on their goals, develop insight, um, transition into purpose. And then most importantly, it helps them to develop a psychological flexibility. 
a lot of times based on trauma or, you know, just things experienced early on um, in childhood. Um, there's a one track way or tunnel vision way um, that people tend to see themselves and the world. And when you are engaging in therapy, it really helps to expand in your bandwidth so you can begin to consider multiple perspectives, begin to um, see life in other ways and consider other people's um, perspectives as you navigate life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Dr. Spector, you as well? I think what they both said is very accurate. And I think it's very important to remember that for many people, they have private thoughts and experiences and feelings that they can't share with the people who are familiar with them. And so some of it is trauma, as been said, but some of it is also hopes and dreams that are outside the boundaries Mm -hmm. of the world that they live in. So I think it's very important that one of the things that we offer besides our actual training is we have no investment in the outcome. So if you're a child and you come from a family where everybody's gone to college, but you don't want to go, a therapist is often a helpful person to help you find a way not to be who the family wants, because everybody in the family is going to try to talk you into it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Because they know you intimately, right? Yeah. And they, they think they it's know. It's not just that best. they know you, <laughs> they know what they want for you. Gotcha. And we don't have that investment in the outcome. Our investment is for you to be happy with the outcome you want to have. Yeah, those are some good points. What are some of the common issues that uh, all of you see in your, your clients? What are they coming to you with most often? Well, a lot of them are coming for generalized anxiety and depression. We clearly see people who are struggling with sexual issues, both gender issues and sexual issues within the marriage or in their relationship. We get people who are constantly disappointed with themselves. Mm. And a big part, I think, of all therapists do is help people to see that their perspective is only one of many that you know what your interior life is. You can't make assumptions about somebody else's interior life. So somebody will say, so-and-so said something, they must hate me, or they don't think I'm valuable. So a valuable thing that a therapist can say is, is there any other reason why that person might've said that? Hmm. Could they have just had a bad day? Could they have been thinking about something else? It's not all about you. And so it's it's giving a framework there. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Rashida, yeah, I see you nodding your head, Rashida. Do you agree with Dr. Spector with what she's saying? Absolutely. And I would agree that, you know, the most common things that people come in are usually depression and anxiety. But with the millennials that I work with, I'm seeing more and more individuals coming in with grief-related issues, dealing with the gun violence and crime and the increase in that that we see in the city. Um, a lot of the millennials that come in, they're dealing with identity issues and identity challenges, helping them to learn to feel safe, find ways to feel safe, um, develop skills that help with emotion regulation, and then also kind of teaching skills to help them learn how to implement self-care regularly and develop some levels of self-preservation so that they can really kind of sustain some level of balance um, as they navigate day to day. Yeah. And, and you're dealing with um, the millennials you're talking about. And then there are kids in Philadelphia that are dealing with this, too. I mean, and all of us, when we see the news, we hear the news of the gun violence or you're a parent that's worried about your child going to school. These are traumas that we're all kind of taking in. We're soaking all of this in. But, you know, how are we dealing with it? 
let's also not forget that we just went through a large public health emergency. Oh, yeah. It was a collective trauma for all of us. And if there is a silver lining to the COVID pandemic, it's that I think it opened up a lot of conversation about mental health. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing really record demand for mental health services. Mm -hmm. And some of that is related to the pandemic and some of the stressors that Rashida mentioned. But I think also a lot of it is about people feeling more comfortable reaching out uh, mm -hmm. around their mental health. During the pandemic, I think we saw a lot of high-profile celebrities. We saw a lot of use of social media highlighting the fact that it's okay to not be okay right, emotionally. Right. Yeah, and you did mention, you know, celebrities and people that we all know seeking care. Of course, most recently, um, Senator John Fetterman, very open about the treatment that he sought for his depression. Um, you know, I guess when we see people that we know reaching out for help makes us feel a little bit more comfortable in saying, you know, hey, maybe I can go and do this too. And not just people we know, but people we may have thought would never ask for that kind of help. Got it. I mean, a generation ago, a politician, a, a celebrity acknowledging that they were having a significant depression, a biologic disease, very common after stroke. Um, to talk about that publicly, that could have been career ending for people yeah. in a previous well, it generation. Was career, it, it was, in fact. It was yes. career ending for Senator Eagleton. That's right. But I think there's another thing. We have elongated bereavement. Because for many young people, they lost a very significant chunk of their time. Because the mm. big part of being an adolescent or a college student is being on campus with your friends. And so as Rashida was talking about the millennials, I'm talking to high school and college students who missed graduation, missed all the senior events. There were no jobs when they graduated because the economy had bottomed out, you know? And so they're in a delay developmentally where they thought they would be at 25 was greatly delayed. And that's not time that they can get back. And it's okay to do that, right? It's absolutely important to do that. And that's part of our job as therapists to help them grieve, but also to tell them that, yes, we can't unwind the clock and now we have to move from where we are. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Let's talk about how to go about choosing a therapist. Does it take time to find a good match for your needs and your personality? Rashida, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, I always encourage people when they're vetting a therapist to. Be patient. And, you know, you always have to remember that you don't have to necessarily go with the first therapist you have a consultation with. Um, typically, um, before I begin to work with people, I do a 15 minute consultation where I kind of get an understanding of what the client is seeking to work on in therapy and just kind of discuss their range of needs. Some of the things you want to um, definitely take into account before you move forward with selecting is things that you want. Just like in the medical professions, there are various specialties. Same thing applies with therapy. You know, you have some that specialize in trauma, grief and loss. Um, you have some that maybe specialize in geriatric populations or more intense trauma or EMDR. So I think that as you begin to think about um, how you want to move forward in selecting, you should really begin to first identify what your wants are. Um, and then you want to ask those um, questions, you know, such as do you accept insurance? Do you provide homework mm -hmm. if that's something mm -hmm. that's important to you? You know, um, how long will this take? How long will I be 
at therapy? What is the expectation of how frequent we meet? You know, so those are just some things to consider. Um, some people have a preference for um, a clinician of color. Some don't. You know, you really want to think about your needs um, before you proceed so you can kind of go in and make an informed selection. Okay. I think Rashida really hit the nail on the head when she talked about asking those questions and getting a good sense. And that's true whether you see a psychiatrist, that's a mental health professional that has gone through medical school okay. and is a medical doctor okay. and then completed a four-year residency in psychiatry. Okay. And so psychiatrists ha- are trained both in psychotherapy and in medication management. So they can prescribe medicines as well as deliver psychotherapy. Psychologists can receive a variety of different degrees, including a doctoral degree or a master's degree, and then can be trained in a whole you know, 31 flavors plus of therapy. Um, social workers, psychologists, etc. Got it. And so it's very important that uh, you focus less on the letters after the person's name and more on some of the other factors. They need to be professionally trained, so you certainly mm-hmm. want to make sure that they're accredited. But one of the best ways when you're looking for a therapist is ask people that you're close to that know you very well. And if they have worked with a therapist or know, that can oftentimes be one of the best sources of referral. I'm going to be transparent because I've said on this show before, I don't know if Dr. Uh, Spector and uh, Ms. Henry, if you remember this, but I did say that I pledged that it was going to be my New Year's resolution for this year to find a therapist that I can check in with on occasion. This happened for the first time this week. I know I'm late, but I finally did it. But the way it happened was a little strange. I didn't know how to pick the therapist. I kind of was just like, okay, who do you have available? And they were like, well, this person's available. <laughs> and so I sat down with her and I just started talking. And I, and I was talking to her and I'm like, I don't know how we figure out if we're going to be a good fit. You know, how does this work? She said, it's going to be completely up to you. We can have a couple of visits and, you know, you can decide if this is going to be a good fit. And I thought that was interesting because I'm kind of just like, well, okay, so I'm just going to continue to tell you things until I figure out whether or not I trust you. It feels very strange right now. I know I'll get into a groove of some kind, but, you know, I don't know if this is going to be the person that I'm going to be seeing. Now, I'm going to say something um, honest here. When I sat down with her, I said to myself, and we had a little bit of a conversation, I said, how is this young, white, unmarried woman with no children going to relate to a black married mother of two. We're polar opposites. So I'm, I'm right now I'm going, hmm, is she going to be able to relate to me? I mean, is that fair for me to ask? Absolutely. Yeah. Because some people do ask that. Some people want somebody who's demographically similar in certain ways. Obviously, if you want somebody who is your same demographic background, you can tell that immediately. If you want somebody who's been married, if you want somebody who's had children, all of these are reasonable questions to ask, and you have the entitlement to ask it. Having said that, I'm sure both guests would agree with me. We have seen people who we have no overlap with at all demographically, and we connect. And we have also had people that we demographically are a perfect match, and we don't connect. Ah. So- there's some alchemy involved in this. Mm-hmm. So I do, I, I agree with both the guests that I will often say to people, let's try each other out for a couple of weeks and see how it's going. And if it seems to be going, we'll keep going. And if it isn't, let's talk about why, because I'm sure most therapists are like me. There are things I can do to modify certain aspects, 
But if not, I can help you find somebody who's a better fit. Mm. The important thing is that you get the help that you want, and it might not be me. Right. I appreciate that, um, and I do. Uh, Rashida, you, you you agree. I see you shaking your head. You agree. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I definitely agree. And I think that more common uh, with um, individuals of color, I see that there's usually um, this push to work with an individual that looks like them because there's this idea that they'll get me, you know, more. Okay. they'll understand me. But I always give a personal sharing, um, you know, when it's an appropriate to give that even as a therapist, I have a therapist. And I've been working with for quite some time. And this individual is not the same color as me, not from the same culture as me. You know, we have very few similarities when you look at us from the exterior, but there's a degree of therapeutic alliance that it works for me. Um, Availability is also a factor. And, uh, you know, I did mention that I was kind of going down the list. I'm like, okay, this one, this one, not taking new patients, not taking new patients, not taking new patients. And I had heard that it's very difficult to get appointments right now with therapists. So it's great that, you know, Fetterman had all this high profile, you know, type of, of treatment and things of that nature. But there is a gap here when it comes to access. Some people don't have access to therapists that take insurance, so on and so forth. So I guess there's a little bit of a struggle there as well. There can be for some folks. You've got a situation in which demand for mental health services is increasing. Yes. At the same time, especially during the pandemic, when some of the supply and capacity, the number of therapists willing to see new people was starting to decline. We saw a lot of people in healthcare, in behavioral healthcare, and other industries leaving the workforce altogether. And uh, the average age of uh, mental health professionals skews older. And so we saw a lot of early retirements. And that meant that there were just fewer people available. I will say that one of the things that was a positive coming out of the pandemic was the advent, the growth, rapid growth of telehealth. People started seeing therapists on Zoom and other video conferencing at rates like they'd never done before. And what's more, people found that a really satisfying way to connect uh, much more so than they may have thought it would have been. You know, we talked earlier about the importance of relationship. Well, you know, yeah. you know, therapy is building a relationship. And you're talking about trusting somebody with some of your most intimate secrets. Uh, that takes time. And I think some people were doubtful that you'd be able to do that uh, over the computer or on the phone. Uh, but when we look at that and study that, people really have connected. You know, Anne, I really don't like the idea of tele anything. I mean, I know that it's available and it was born out of the pandemic, but I kind of want to sit, feel, look at people's reactions. I need to see your eyes. I mean, I need in person. You know, a lot of, do a lot of people feel that way? I know that's just how I feel. So, no, I, I, I think that Zoom has helped a lot because we can see you. We, we don't see the whole bo- we don't see the whole body. And I'm sure that both the other guests have the same thing. We're looking at body language all the time. So sometimes you're sitting there and the person is telling you everything's okay, but they're tapping their foot. So with Zoom, Mm -hmm. we can't always get that part. But here's going back to the point of access. I had, first of all, many people, I see many students, college students in the Philadelphia area. When the pandemic hit, they went all over the country to go home. So the fact that they could stay with their therapist was enormously helpful during an extremely stressful period. The other thing is, my office is downtown Philadelphia. I have people from all over Pennsylvania 
who just as, as, as the doctor said, they have a friend who had a friend who saw me, but it would take them over an hour to come to my office. So for them to do a telehealth, they can see me from Pittsburgh. Rashida, what do you think about teletherapy? Um, I think telehealth is absolutely amazing. So actually, my practice knows no face um, is 100% telehealth. And so um, I work with primarily millennials, and it has worked for them. You know, many of my um, clients are college students. Some of them work, you know, full time and just, you know, the hustle and bustle of sometimes like getting across the city to get to a therapy session and then having to pick up kids or, you know, get to class. It's a lot for people. And so therapy um, virtually has this component of being able to kind of be very convenient for millennials, kind of cuts down on the travel time. Um, me as a therapist, however, though, I do assess that, you know, not all individuals that come in are appropriate for telehealth. There are some diagnoses, I would say, that in person might work better. Mm -hmm. um, but typically with my assessment process early on in the intake phase, I assess, you know, if this, you know, will be um, an appropriate situation um, for a client to move forward. But ultimately, for many of the people I work with, it has worked and it has proven just as effective as in person. Yeah, I read an article recently. It was referring to medication. And it's a delicate dance, I'm assuming, with the doctor and patient because you don't want to over-medicate. You know, it was alluding to the question of, are we creating a nation of zombies? Everyone's just walking around over-medicated instead of, you know, really going in and kind of working things through. I guess there's a balance between medication and, and different treatment modalities, would you say? Absolutely. Medication is just another tool in the toolbox. And in some circumstances, some situations, and for some people, it can be a really effective one. Mm. But we have more than two tools in the toolbox, and that's really important to keep in mind as well. And a good psychiatrist will bring all of those tools to bear to come up with a really effective treatment regimen. So you mentioned, and we've talked about psychotherapy, and we've talked about medication. But there are so many other things related to health and wellness uh, that people can do on their own. Uh, things like yoga, meditation, mm. deep breathing. Um, working on their sleep hygiene. In other words, getting a good, restful night's sleep. Limiting. That's so hard to do, though, for a lot of us. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But it turns out to be one of the most effective ways that you can mm. help your mental health. And there are no side effects to sleep. Same with exercise. That's exercise true. is like an evidence-based treatment that can reduce stress, reduce anxiety, reduce depression. It does all these wonderful things, but it's hard to do. Yeah. And that's yeah. important to keep in mind. And if you have questions, if you have concerns... Talk with your doctor. One of the things that we were always taught in medical school was start low, go slow. It's good advice, not just for medications, but really for life. Yeah, absolutely. Rashida, Henry, any closing thoughts on uh, for people who are thinking about getting <coughs> therapy but might be a, a little hesitant? Yeah, I would definitely just encourage individuals to make yourself a priority. Make your wellness a priority. I know in Western culture, you know, unfortunately with work and um, there are some, some people that need to have more than one job and there's just this rush of go, 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 do this. I have my schedule full. There's always something to do. Yeah. But I just encourage people to make your wellness a priority. Identify what that looks like for you. If it's increasing physical activity daily, as the doctor said, getting more rest and putting that as a priority on your to-do list. You know, find a ways to create balance, whether it's going to the gym, spending time with family. Um, that self-preservation is key, and prioritizing wellness is key. And therapy is only one tool of many 
that can be utilized to help you begin that journey. Well, I certainly hope we've uh, helped uh, someone along who may be thinking about, uh, you know, uh, getting into therapy and and just, uh, you know, increasing their uh, mental health and uh, behavioral health. I I do think it's important. And for some reason, it really feels like right now we are reaching a fever pitch of uh, just people really needing to slow down and just kind of work things through. At least that's, that's been my observation. I have to say thank you so much to uh, Rashida Zayed Henry and Dr. Ann Rose Inspector, along with Dr. Matthew Herford. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Make yourself a priority, just like Rashida Henry said. Thank you all for joining us today on Bridging Philly. Thank you. Thank you. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Spring has sprung, summer is around the corner, and the flowers are in full bloom. Take a walk with Shara Day Howard in the latest Shara in the City. This week, we're taking a walk through Aubrey Arboretum, a vibrant landscape tucked away in the heart of historic Germantown. It's like a nature sanctuary, once a private community of an extended Quaker family. The Arboretum's been open to the public free of charge as a park for over 100 years. Now its 56-acre historic landscape now stands as a green oasis in a densely populated urban environment with weekly events from live music to workshops. There's really something for everyone. So this week, I'm taking a walk with Thomas Schuddenhelm, the artistic director of the Network for New Music, who's leading nature musicians performing in honor of the surrounding wildlife in the hopes that nature will sing back. We have two featured pieces. We have a choral incantation by Lenape composer Brent Michael Davids. This sits on former Lenape land. This is going to bless the ceremony, the land, and the performance. And then we have Eve Beglarian's Murmur in the Trees for 24 double bassists, which will be uh, positioned throughout the Arboretum. We're inviting audiences to walk about, record, take pictures. You will enjoy both the natural sounds from the nature and the Arboretum, along with the beautiful music that Brent and Eve has composed for us. I love it. And amongst the crowd, the conversation, the leaves. The and wind. I'm, and oh, the wind. Yeah. And what's your name, Nick? It's Karen DeSanto, and I'm the executive director with Network for New Music. So how appropriate is it to have this particular event in this space? Go ahead, give your... It is both on this space and on this day. Uh, it's a special performance. Um, we are celebrating the land. We are celebrating what our instruments are made of. They're made of wood. Our strings you know, are natural. And we have today, we're playing what's called a bird roar, which evokes the chirping of the birds. And as we play them, you will hear the birds respond to it. They hear this as a call and then they chirp and reply. So you're showing this to me. What is this made of? It's a metal tube which emits a pitch that complements the pitches that the chorus will sing. It's a hand made by the composer Brent Michael Davids, specially composed. We commissioned this piece for this. Go for it. He's going to try to try to play it. All right. I hope you guys can hear this. <laughs> That's great. 
But the space is hopping, it's popping, it's got everyone from almost every corner of life. And how important was it to incorporate almost every age group? Music is a living tradition, and it recognizes no age, and everyone can enjoy contemporary music. This is accessible for everyone, and everyone's always invited to our concerts. <laughs> Underneath the trees and the birds, all together. Thank you so much. Indeed. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, so now it's time to walk through the park to hear the cellos and to actually hear the musicians. But I'm going to whisper so I don't disturb anyone else, so bear with me. There are bass players on either side of the path, and there are dozens of people walking through listening to the bass. Each bass is playing at a different tone. Now, I'm here with Shauna Halpern. I'm the chair of Albury Arboretum. Albury is thrilled to be able to have the musicians here and also to have the community here. That's what we're all about. This is the second year that we've been able to have the Network for New Music come and perform. And boy, what a location to perform. We have all sorts of music events during the summer. We have summer camps for children. We are constantly having bird walks and nature walks and tree identification walks. Love that, love that. We have Adventure Woods, which is this enclosed area uh, that you can rent out or you can just come and wander through for free. Just come and bring your lunch and have a picnic here. We are always open. We are always free and we invite everybody to come. Connect with nature and with the community. That's our motto, yeah. So thank you. Thank, thank you, thank you. Thanks for being with us. Then lastly, there was poetry by local poet and author Deborah Powell Wright. Let's walk the path between tall grass that many feet have beaten to this circle where the drums play. And to close this, you can actually hear the drummers on the way out of the park. Events are happening all summer. If you want a day in nature, come visit the Arboretum. Thank you so much for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Sharaday Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.